Dear Peter, uh, on behalf of the Center for Strategic Philanthropy at Cambridge University, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me on the global humanitarian situation and the opportunities that exist for philanthropists uh, in emerging markets uh, and everywhere to help address these challenges. As president since 2012, Peter Maurer has of course led the uh, International Committee of the Red Cross, the ICRC, uh, created uh, 157 years ago, I believe, uh, yeah. and which today through its uh, 18,000 strong dedicated staff carries out critical humanitarian work in over 90 countries around the world. Peter previously held a number of senior positions at the UN and before joining the ICRC served as the Swiss government's state secretary for foreign affairs. So Peter, I'd like to begin by asking you to, to describe just how dire the current humanitarian financing situation is around the world. It's generally known that we are falling short of the funds that we need to address all of the immediate crises uh, that we are facing. But can you put that uh, into some perspective for people watching this, including in particular, the impact of COVID-19, where, of course, as you know, the World Bank estimates that a further 150 million people could face poverty uh, by the end of next year due to the pandemic. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Bader, for uh, the opportunity to exchange with you and uh, uh, with the center, of course, uh, who is a, a very much appreciated uh, partner uh, of the ICRC. Uh, it's an interesting question uh, whether to try to frame a little bit the landscape of needs that we are encountering. And there are, of course, very different perspectives that you can take. If we look at classical humanitarian work, uh, and I, if I see what all our converging calculation, be it at the Red Cross, be it at the UN, is indicating, then we are certainly shortfalling a couple of billion US dollars just even for emergency operation attached and related to COVID-19. So uh, you can always dispute uh, figures, but I think easily we could argue that the shortfall is somewhere between four and eight billion US dollars, even in short-term emergency work, which should be done in order to prevent the worst. And what the World Bank has indicated, and you have quoted, uh, brother, with to prevent 100 million additional uh, people getting from uh, sort of precarious wealth into poverty. So that's just one perspective. If I take a little bit a larger perspective, if we look at shortfalls of capital uh, in order to achieve the SDGs, again, there are uh, many calculations, estimations, but uh, I think here again, the international financial institutions put something of a figure of 2.5 trillion US dollars uh, which would be needed annually to have over the next uh, 10 years to achieve the SDGs. And so whether you think in short-term humanitarianism or in long-term uh, more sustainable development and resilience building, 
these figures uh, look at first sight big. Uh, if I put that into perspective and that uh, capital, private capital in financial institution is worth 250 trillion, then 2.5 trillion doesn't look like an unsurmountable challenge to the international community. If I look at 5 billion emergency funding, that doesn't look like a, a big issue knowing what budgets of wealthy states and wealthy organizations and people look like. So what is irritating in the present landscape of needs is of course that uh, financial means are there, different kinds of financial means, but they don't find their way to this huge gap in short-term as well as medium and long-term consolidation. And when we put figures, we have to acknowledge one thing more, which is relativizing the gap. And that's, of course, that there are serious absorption capacities uh, when we go into really fragile contexts where the biggest needs are. Uh, as you know, the ICRC is working in 25 to 40 to, to 30 contexts, which we consider high fragility in which poverty, conflict, climate change, COVID-19 or the economic consequences for, of COVID-19 have basically caused a massive breakdown. These 25 to 30 contexts are at the origin of 80% of irregular migration worldwide. Uh, it is at the core of the security concerns worldwide for not only for those countries themselves, but also for neighbors which are affected. Uh, the Lebanon example is just one of them, uh, which uh, sits at the core or next uh, to the Syrian conflict, which has so predominantly influenced our view of humanitarian work over the last uh, decade. So these are maybe some of the reflections and there is a, a potential, of course, uh, which we have to find and where I believe that organization like mine can act as a translator be between potential capital and the needs on the ground. So I want to definitely come back to the uh, sources of capital and also short-term versus long-term. Um, but of course, the nature of humanitarian crises, as you mentioned, has changed significantly in the past few decades. Uh, and, and through my uh, exposure to the sector as a member of the UN Secretary General's high-level panel on humanitarian financing, I learned of the clear trend towards human conflict uh, as a root cause, and also the significantly longer-term nature of crisis. So what trends and forces have been driving the demands of the ICRC these past few years in particular? And how do you see that changing over the next few years, perhaps also in relation to COVID? Well, I think, uh, Badr, when I look at the places in which we see the biggest needs and the worst developments, then we indeed have something which I can put under the heading of complex emergency, but what makes complexity? Uh, I think it is violence and conflict. And when I talk about violence, it's also the fragmentation of power, which is 
so striking and which is so complex uh, to manage. We don't have any more uh, the predominant feature of violence in fragile context is not uh, two sides fighting with each other. Most of the conflict have more than 10, 15 or 20 parties to a conflict and uh, the drivers of violence and conflict are of course exclusion, injustice, uh, political uh, conflict between uh, societies and in between, in within societies, and it has fueled uh, over, as you rightly say, in a much more longer perspective, uh, uh, these conflicts. The average presence of ICRC now in our 20 largest operations is more than 30 years. We have been in these conflicts for 30 years, and that doesn't look like short-term emergency. But on top of violence uh, with all its uh, intrinsic dynamics, we see, of course, climate change as a powerful accelerator and uh, as a factor which complexifies the situation. I just visited the Sahel and when you are in the Sahel, you see that uh, the changing rainfall patterns uh, are an accelerator of violence and conflict because uh, there is uh, scarcer surfaces to, for productive uh, activity, for agricultural and pastoral activities, and this accentuates uh, conflict. We see also uh, much faster changing weather patterns uh, rainfalls, either too much or too little, uh, sequence themselves in much more frequent uh, sequences. And here again, I, I arrive in Niger, in Burkina Faso, the pre predominant uh, issue of the day uh, during my visit was the floods. Who would expect that the floods is the key issue in the Sahel? And, and so we have climate change and environmental degradation as a key factor. We have structural poverty, uh, which we haven't managed, uh, despite all the MDGs and SDGs, really to uh, sustainably uh, uh, get out of uh, over, the, over the past decades. And we have serious governance and institutional issues in, in many of the fragile countries. So this complex situation, which is then topped by COVID-19 and its primary and secondary economic and social impacts uh, makes a very explosive mix, which leads to trends which uh, cannot be addressed by humanitarian actors only. I think you can throw tons of money at these problems, but you won't be able to solve them if you don't have a more sophisticated and differentiated as approach to those complexities which go from support uh, to training, capacity building, to institution building, to incl building inclusive societies, uh, orienting your work towards uh, stronger resilience. So it it needs a more complex interaction also between organization in order to deal with those issues. Right, right. And on the 
money issue, if you if you uh, permit me again. Um, are you witnessing an increase in the use of blended finance uh, or other innovative approaches to financing humanitarian projects uh, in, in your work at the ICRC? And how can we enable or encourage more pooling of resources between uh, donors from different sectors and also from different parts of the world? Well, it's definitely something we strongly advocate for. Uh, you may have seen, uh, we have published yesterday uh, a, uh, an article, the, uh, the several stakeholders of the Humanitarian and Resilience Initiative at the World Economic Forum. Uh, so we have uh, published an editorial uh, which uh, really makes itself an advocate for uh, blended for blended finance, I, uh, I think uh, we do try hard to see that on the one side we have emergencies which need emergency money, which has its characteristics uh, in order to help people survive. But then you need to describe and to allow for pathways in on which people can get to more independent lives again. And this is basically in characteristic calls for blended finance, because mm -hmm. once people are displaced, uprooted and marginalized through violence, conflict, climate change, and whatever, you need to bring them back step by step into more productive activity. Most of the time, the first step can't be, and they will again be marginalized if you subject them to the logic of the market uh, as such. And so blended finance, uh, blended finance comes with the promise that you can have differentiated approach according to the needs and you can design a pathway into more autonomous and independent lives for people. And I think that's really where we think at the ICRC, we have a role to play. While I would advocate for states to finance more generous, our emergency part of the work, I don't think that we can have emergency finance for 30 years in a row. We need to design pathways out of it. And here blended finance, which ties into emergency finance first phase is probably the best template we have at the present time to design those pathways. And we, we really work hard with the World Bank, with the Regional Development Bank, with uh, with uh, development uh, institutions from states also, with philanthropy, with, uh, uh, with different actors in, the, in, in, this, in this area to see how can we intelligently put our energies together and align them together so that we can use different uh, instruments and financial instruments for these very complex uh, situations. The sub on the subject of collaboration, um, I recall, again, the work done by the uh, SG's high-level panel on understanding the continuum uh, of humanitarian and development capital flows uh, towards building resilience, if you will, in, in vulnerable communities around the world. 
how good would you say collaboration within the humanitarian sector is by different sector actors? Um, and how is the nature of the interface that you referred to between humanitarian and development intervention changed uh, over the years? Well, I think there is a strong willingness and a strong awareness uh, about collaboration. But there are also challenges and uh, complexities to align our different tools in a way that it makes, it makes sense. I think my biggest preoccupation today is that in the most fragile contexts of the world in which we are most challenged to really stabilize, we don't see hundreds of actors present. And very often development actors are very much absent in these, uh, in these situations. And that's the reason why as a frontline humanitarian organization, we think that in many of those contexts where we feel that development actors with their ramifications and conditions cannot yet really be present, we feel that we have to step in and offer some other forms of perspectives and finance. And we decided at the ICRC to particularly look at those areas in which we have measurability of activities, which gives a certain promise of economic logic coming even to the most fragile contexts and which would allow us then to use those tools. But I think contrary to the general expectation, while the world of humanitarian organization and development organization seems uh, to be very uh, sort of populated, there are a, a huge number of organizations. My biggest worry is that in the most fragile context, we don't find these actors easily. We find them in capitals of what we would consider at ICRC relatively nice and stable countries while in the South Sudans, in the Eastern uh, U Ukraine, in the rural Afghanistan, in, in, in Southern Somalia, uh, in many places in, in the Sahel, in the Lake Chad, we don't see hundreds of those actors really contributing to stabilizing fragile contexts. So sometimes the lack of presence is what drives us as a humanitarian organization to develop ourselves some tools, hoping that we can drag more climate funds, more development funds towards uh, those situation. And you know as good as I do, uh, Bader, one of the big issue is just risk. And I think if we, don't get our head around having more organizations, people, capital coming to risky contexts and taking some risks, we will have difficulty stabilizing these contexts. Absolutely. And, and that brings me very nicely to my final question. Uh, as you know, the uh, top 30 fastest growing economies in the world last year were all in emerging markets. Uh, a lot of wealth is being generated within these uh, economies. And as a result, a new generation of strategic philanthropists uh, is beginning to emerge 
across parts of Africa, uh, the Middle East, uh, and developing Asia. For the aspiring philanthropist that is watching this uh, from the emerging markets specifically, how would you recommend that they engage or work with organizations such as the ICRC in addressing humanitarian crises in aid of the uh, most vulnerable children, women, and uh, men in the world? Well, first, I would hope that strategic philanthropists from emerging market will bring a spirit of better understanding what the complexities of some of the very fragile contexts are, because in their lifetime, they have experienced how their own countries have emerged from often difficult, fragile, marginalized, poor contexts into booming economies which have brought them wealth. And, and I think there is an advantage of strategic philanthropists from emerging market coming to, uh, to the work type that we are doing because it, it comes very often. And I see that myself with a sounder and more in-depth understandings of the complexity we are dealing with. What we hope to offer to those philanthropists is an increasing engagement platform which separates, as I alluded to before, emergency money, which I still believe should be largely financed by public power and states. Uh, and we hope to have kind of an additional portfolio, a pipeline of projects and activities, which are designed really to what I called the pathway out of dependency and the pathway towards autonomy. And I think that's where I think this is attractive for those philanthropists who see that at the end of the day, strategically, we have to fix the most fragile, the poorest, and to bring them uh, out of, uh, of dependency and deprivation. And I think the ICRC with its frontline experience, with its knowledge, with its uh, uh, understanding of the logics uh, on the ground is certainly a country which uh, tries to offer to strategic philanthropists platforms, projects, programs of engagement, which have this more long-term uh, perspective. So our uh, projects that we are developing in particular for water system in urban contexts, uh, from Goma to Maiduguri to, uh, to the Sahel uh, is uh, an interesting issue, I think, for strategic philanthropy. As you know, we are a key actor for disabled worldwide because uh, of our work in conflict and war. And we hope that strategic philanthropy can also engage on building health systems and building systems for uh, the physically challenged in those poor contexts. So we hope that we can add to those thematics of water, health, uh, and 
offer engagement platforms for strategic philanthropists, which will look uh, attractive because increasingly we are looking at delivering impact to investors, uh, blended finance uh, possibilities, uh, which somehow try to build a value chain from philanthropy to market graduation. And I think that's what, at the end of the day, we need to fix and where I hope uh, that a humanitarian organization like mine, but also in cooperation with the World Bank, with the financial institutions, with the UN, with our partners uh, uh, in humanitarian development, climate change and other, we can offer attractive, uh, attractive solutions. And for those uh, that are watching who really want to learn more about that, uh, please do also visit uh, icrc.org. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm sure if there are people who want to connect directly, then uh, they can either go directly to, to the ICRC and the center, of course, would be uh, very, would be delighted to, to, to help to create that connection as well. Um, thank you. Thank you, dear Peter, uh, first and foremost, of course, for all the phenomenally important work that you continue to spearhead, um, and of course, for taking the time to share your great uh, insights uh, with us. Thank you again. Thanks a lot, Peter, for your interest and for your great work at the center that uh, you are sponsoring and engaging in. Thank you. Thank you.